Hi, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here for Reinvent Yourself. And I'm so glad to have a very different type of reinventor. This is Bonnie Levinson, who's an old friend from high school. And her reinvention is really counterintuitive because she was really shy in high school. And you'll never believe, or I I didn't believe, when she turned up as a stand-up comic many years later. And her path to that is really kind of fascinating and inspirational for anybody who is stuck and saying, oh my God, I can't figure out what it is I should be doing and where I'm going. And um, the interesting part about it is she started out as a, in advertising at NBC and then she moved to the suburbs to have her kids. And for 18 years, she was a mom. And then her husband came home and said, I don't want to be married anymore. And she had to figure out what she was going to do with herself. And she literally says that she was sitting at her daughter's computer and she was sick and tired of hearing herself be so negative. And she was sick of herself looking negatively at life. And she said to herself, what's important to you? What are the things that come up for you that are really important? And she said, humor. And she says her family is funny, but she was never necessarily funny. And she typed in comedy classes into the computer. And what came up was New York Institute of Comedy. She didn't know what it was, but she grabbed it. And so began her journey all the way into being a stand-up comic. And she ended up starting the Nantucket Comedy Festival. And she says she was terrified the first time she did comedy. She did it at Stand Up New York, which is curiously where we held one of our first comedy events uh, for Covey Club. And now she's made it all the way to actually working at The Moth. She she moved over from comedy into storytelling. And for 10 years, she has been teaching storytelling for The Moth. And she travels the world, really, teaching corporations – how to get stories out of their employees and how to use them to connect employees, to bond in teams and create leadership. And it's just a fascinating story. So I'm hoping that you will enjoy this conversation with Bonnie Levinson. So I want to introduce my good friend, Bonnie Levinson. Bonnie, great to have you here today. I am so happy to be here. And I want to tell everybody, Bonnie is so funny because we've known each other since high school mm-hmm. and I did not know she had all these incredible reinventions in her when we were in high school. And that is what is so completely amazing. So uh, Bonnie, tell us a little bit about, you know, your background and how you got into what you're doing today. I will. And, and I just want to say first that we knew each other in high school. So I do know things about you. <laughs> Have to be kind to me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll hold it. You'll you'll spill all the guts. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I can sort of tell you a little bit about me, which is, you know, I uh, out of college, I ended up in uh, public relations and marketing, and I went to business school because I was certain that going to business school would was the path to happiness, mm-hmm. and uh, re- actually really enjoyed it. And I, I, I truly consider that my first reinvention. Um, and because I wasn't feeling in my career that I was getting anywhere, and uh, going to school made me feel like I could do it. 
And so coming out of school, I ended up in um, advertising in a, at NBC, at network television. Uh, and I did sort of more advanced marketing and really enjoyed it and was loving my work. And then my second child came along and my husband looked at me and said, I don't think we can do it here in New York City. Uh, I would like to move out to the suburbs, and I went kicking and screaming, but uh, we made our way to Stanford, Connecticut, where I became a mom, as I'm sure many of your listeners have done, mm -hmm. and I uh, found myself suddenly not working uh, and really lost and having uh, having this sense that I'd lost my identity, but, but over time um, found this n wonderful new identity as a mom. Uh, and so that's sort of how life was going for me. Uh, but about 18 years into the marriage, my husband uh, told me one day that he didn't want to be married anymore. And mm. I was thrown for a very uh, painful loop. Mm. And I was lost. And again, my identity just suddenly walked out. And I thought, mm. candidly, my, that my whole life had been a sham. And I, I, mm. I just didn't even know who I was or what I was. And uh, I'm sorry to go dark so early and maybe <laughs> you weren't asking no, for no, that. No, 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 but I think this happens to a lot of people, Donnie. I mean, it's, it's the yeah. story of a lot of people. It's not just you, as you know. I do. Um, and I was feeling very sorry for myself, candidly, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I couldn't get out of my own way and I tried therapy. I tried all sorts of things. I had dear friends that were circling, but... Um, those aren't necessarily the answers. And I remember there was this one very specific day. I went, I was up in my daughter's room and I was sitting at her computer and I remember just having this very strange uh, conversation with myself. Uh, and I kept saying to myself, um, stop being so negative. I'm tired of you being so negative. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you looking at your life in such a negative way and I don't want to hear it and I don't think anybody else wants to hear it mm -hmm. uh, so change it up and mm -hmm. and I sort of just I, I it feels like a little bit of an odd scene but I was sitting there um, and I don't know why I still remember it so strongly that it was in my daughter's room but I feel mm -hmm. like there's something poignant in that um, mm -hmm. and I said what do you like what do you what do you want to do and my immediate answer was I want to go start a business Mm -hmm. I want to run a business. I either want to go back to NBC or I, I want to go run a business. And I said to myself, no, you don't. That's not <laughs> isn't what you want to do. Okay. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and not only that, it would be very hard. And that, the hard part didn't scare me. What was really interesting to me is that I'm thinking, no, it isn't what I want to do. And I started having this, this thought process, which is come up with some words that are meaningful to you. Mm. And I came up with humor. And really? Just off the, just off the bat? Just, that was sort of the first thing because I had sort of, the way I was thinking was I'm, I'm sick of you being such a Debbie Downer. Mm. And, you know, my family was funny. My, my siblings are funny. Um, I was always very shy, but I, I yes, do remember, that's what I remember. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. almost six feet tall, but I was mm -hmm. always one of the shyest people and mm -hmm. it doesn't, didn't really matter. And I really uh, thought, okay, Great. And so I turned on my daughter's computer and I plugged in comedy classes. Oh, really? Okay. And I'm sitting there. And at that time, there weren't many of them. But I, I, 
the up on the screen came the New York Institute of Comedy. And I, I laugh about it now, but I remember thinking, it's an institute. <laughs> so therefore, it should be very professional. Oh, my God. And I called them up and uh, signed up. And I didn't tell anyone, but I got a babysitter for these, this one night a week that I'd go into New York City and go to this sort of seamy, seemly little studio with about 12 other students. And we would try to make each other laugh. And it was an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it worked. It wow. I started feeling better. You know, it didn't, you know, did I become a famous comic? No, but it just, I, I so enjoyed the writing. I so enjoyed the process of taking um, the things in my life that were either wonderful or not so wonderful and finding the funny in it. And um, it was really, it put me on this path of, of just trying things. And so mm -hmm. I started getting up in comedy clubs and I started producing comedy shows. And for the next, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven years, um, I even produced a, a comedy festival that is still going today. Wow. It's, what is that called? It's called the Nantucket Comedy Festival. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've met, you know, all comics from all walks of life mm -hmm. and, um, I admire them so much. I think they're incredible. And I still love the idea of the process of writing. I, I was, you know, I wasn't the greatest comic in the world, but I did love the process. And mm -hmm. I love the community that I, that I got to know. And how long did you do that? And what were your kids' reactions? Were they like freaking out? <laughs> and, and, and also, I would like to know how you got over stage fright. How did you just like, did you have no stage fright whatsoever? I can't imagine standing up in something like that. Uh, well, you who do speak to people, I was terrified. I, my first comic comedy performance was at a place called the New York, uh, St uh, Stand Up New York. Oh, Stand Up New York. We just did a big event with them. Okay. Oh, you did it. They're, yeah. they're great. And uh -huh. I remember I got into New York early and I, I was walking the streets. I, I don't want your listeners to think I talk to myself all the time, but I was, <laughs> these two instances, I was walking the streets of New York saying to myself, why did you decide to do this? You do not mm -hmm. need to publicly humili humiliate yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my heart was just on the ground. And mm -hmm. uh, my, I, I went in the, up on the stage and it's still an out-of-body experience that first time. And mm -hmm. I don't think I was particularly funny, but there was this one woman and, you know, when you're on a stage and particularly a comedy club, you've mm -hmm. got bright lights in your eyes and you can't really see right. the audience. Right. But you feel the reaction. The one thing about comedy is, you know, either they laugh mm -hmm. immediately or they don't. And mm -hmm. you know, you failed. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was this one woman who was laughing. Not mm -hmm. the, audio, the whole audience wasn't, but she was. <laughs> And I will never forget how grateful I am to her. And if she is listening today, uh -huh. <laughs> I appreciate it. And uh -huh. it was this sense of connecting. So uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, I had this sense of wholeness, wholeness just with connecting with someone who she understood me. Mm. And it was amazing. Mm. And how so long I, did I you hooked. do this for? Yeah. yeah, how long did you do this for? So... I still do it every once in a while, but I, I was doing it pretty constantly for about five years. Um, wow. And I was uh, uh, lucky enough to spend some summers up on Nantucket Island and started doing a, a weekly show up there with a, with a very uh, accomplished comedian. And at the end of sort of the second summer of doing this show, I, I went to him and said, I have this idea. I think we should start a festival. Mm. So we did. And, mm -hmm. um, it, and I learned a lot about 
the whole profession of it and mm. um, what it's like to produce shows. I, I went on to produce, I've, I've been producing comedy shows sort of along the way mm -hmm. um, and sort of bringing comedy to places and people that don't necessarily see it because a lot of people don't just think about it's Saturday night, let's go to a comedy club. No, they don't. Why is that? And I, I I don't know, uh, but it's but if you bring it to them, like I've I've done a lot of shows out in the suburbs, and everybody just loves it. It's yes, uh, all, you know, we always sell out, and it always seems like a novel idea, mm -hmm. even though you know twenty five miles away, it's it's all over New York City, but in the mm -hmm. suburbs, it's not as accessible, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. I I still put my toe in that water every once in a while. And how did your kids react to this, and how did your husband react to this? Your former husband. My former, former husband was like, that's cool. I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I think he might have been, if he, I'm not sure he's ever actually heard my comedy to begin with, okay. although we are friends, so I'm okay. going to talk about it. Um, my kids are pretty proud of me. My daughter actually wrote her college essay, to my surprise, on seeing me at a club called Caroline's Comedy Club. Wow, you did Caroline's, time. wow. And, uh, and she, uh, and so she wrote her essay on how, uh, I think I think she said it's something like my my mom does stand up comedy and she's actually not that bad. <laughs> um, so it was something along those lines. Um, so I think they're proud of me that I did something so uh, certainly unique for their mm -hmm. moms that they knew and mm -hmm. um, that I had some nerve. Mm -hmm. um, my eldest daughter is like, Mom, I'm you know at, at one point she said, Mom, I'm 27 years old. You can't talk about me being in high school anymore. I think people know. You know, because you sort of use those same jokes over and over again. Oh, I see. Oh, oh yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so how did you get over being so shy, though? Because that's a pretty tough thing to go from being shy to standing up on stage and doing comedy, of all things. I mean, that's even riskier than learning lines that somebody else wrote, right? I mean, you're <laughs> writing your own stuff, and if it's failing, it's failing, right? I think that's a really good point. Um, I still have a little stage fright, but not so much mm -hmm. anymore. But um, I, I remember when I was working at NBC, my second week there, I, I had to give a, a, a talk. And we went into a huge dark room, and I blanked mm. uh, on the second slide. And I, my boss was running the slideshow, and I walked out of the room and thought I'd lost my job. And he, he, uh, later that day, I, I you know, was obviously very upset. And he said, you know what, you can do this. And he sent me to a three-day sort of public speaking course mm -hmm. uh, where I got a lot of practice. And mm -hmm. while I, I don't believe people when they say they're really not afraid, because if you're not, mm -hmm. you don't really have any stake in it. Mm -hmm. But I think now it's just, if you're really true to yourself and you're up there, um, audiences engage. But Mm -hmm. That's taken me a lot of years to really understand that mm -hmm. um, because now I do something a little bit different. So talk uh, about you've now morphed into. So now uh, actually through the world of comedy, um, I became so fascinated with it. I started taking improvisation classes um, and I went to a, a school called the Upright Citizens Brigade and I went through their entire curriculum, which is it's um, it's tough. It's hard. And it's amazing. And I am terrible at improv. <laughs> um, but I loved it and I thought it was so challenging for my mind and it just was I was experiencing something that my mind had never had so I, I just felt like I was being turned on in ways that I'd never experienced but I was not good at it but then someone told me you should check out this storytelling thing 
comedian told me that. Mm -hmm. And to me, this storytelling thing was, the only thing I knew about storytelling was my children, when they were in circle time in kindergarten, mm -hmm. were told stories. Or mm -hmm. at their school, a reenactor would come and, uh, in costume and, and share a folktale. Mm -hmm. um, but I heard about an organization called The Moth, like The mm -hmm. Bug. Mm -hmm. And I went to one of their sort of open mic competitions to see what this was all about. And uh, it was on the Lower East Side. And I, I remember I, you know, I came in from the suburbs and I, I wore all black to try and blend. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I stood online with um, uh, a lot of millennials, but also mm -hmm. I, I did notice it's people of all ages. And I mm -hmm. went in and it was probably 200 people packed into this bar. And mm -hmm. uh, all there was was a stage. Uh, a standing mic and a, a board with the scores. Oh my God. And I they score you. Oh, it's a competition. Oh my God. I can't uh, do it. But, and people put their name in a hat. I did not do it that first, second, third, fourth, or fifth time. Ah. Um, but then you compete, but I did do it that next time. And I was hooked. I remember again, it felt like that first time I was telling, uh, doing comedy and my heart was out on the floor, mm -hmm. but I could feel this incredible sense of warmth from this audience. And mm -hmm. it's how I felt the first time I saw storytelling, which was, I love you. Like that may not be the greatest story I ever heard, but you, you just put your heart out there and you were completely true. And one person was funny and one person was poignant and one person was made me cry. And mm -hmm. the whole place just became close and connected. Mm -hmm. And I, so I go back to that idea of connection mm -hmm. and it's a very supportive, if you're telling a story from your life mm -hmm. the, and, and the people are there to listen to it, they're going to support you. And so I got hooked again on something uh, a little bit different than comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, comedy audiences sort of sit back and say, okay, make me laugh. Mm -hmm. But a storytelling audience says, I, thank you for, for getting up there and sharing your truth. Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love with it. And I started telling stories. And uh, the moth called me up one day and said, we like one of your stories. We'd like to um, work with you and, and have it be put on one of our uh, produced events, stages. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. two months later, I found myself on Central Park stage in front of 4,000 people. Mm -hmm. Under the stars, sharing a very personal story about mm. about my divorce, mm. and it was as I, it was about as naked as I've ever been. Mm. Incredible. And now, what are you doing for them? And so that was about ten years ago, and I have been teaching for them ever since. Wow. So for the for the last ten years, I've been working with uh, a wide range of communities and. Um, sharing with them the principles of storytelling that we've learned. Um, the Moth is now t almost 22 years old and uh, they've developed these sort of wonderful principles to, to help people find and tell their stories. And so I've worked with people who are getting their GED. I've worked in prisons. I've worked mm. with the elderly, uh, the disabled, uh, veterans, um, a wide range of sort of underserved populations. I've worked in, um, uh, the schools, the public school system. Mm. Um, and I do most of my work now, the last five years have really morphed into something called MothWorks. Mm -hmm. And we work with uh, businesses of all shapes and sizes. I just got back from working with Lockheed Martin and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm off to Stockholm on Wednesday to work with uh, Spotify. What and what are you teaching them? Are they telling each other's stories within the company? Is this part of bonding and training or what? Um, it's, it is that. So a lot of companies will work with their offsites and, and help them um, sort of as a, 
oftentimes a, a conference or it's, it could be team bonding or it's leadership training or it's just um, content marketing. I just did something two weeks ago with a large content marketer. Uh, and it's really this idea of what, what is a story, how do you find them and how do you tell them? There's that. And then how do you apply them to the business that you do? So sometimes we've worked with engineers from big tech companies out in Silicon Valley, and you've got these engineers who they speak in numbers and, and algorithms all day. And, and for, they need to somehow communicate in a human way and connect uh, with other people. So we help them tell stories with data. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a wide variety of opportunities. The, the job we're doing um, in Stockholm with Spotify is for um, a Women's Day. It's International Women's Day. Oh, yes, right. And so they're having a festival. So we'll be working with women from all over the world to help them and put them on stage, actually, um, wow. uh, form their stories. So I'm very excited about it. Wow, how cool. Mm. Now, let's talk a little bit. So this is a full-time job. Are your kids gone? Are you supporting yourself? How does, how does that work? Uh, well, I wouldn't say anybody is living in any mansions on what I'm making, <laughs> but okay. I'm certainly not losing money and I'm making some. So okay. I, they, they have a staff of about, when I started, I think there were 12 people there and now there are 30 in staff and I'm mm -hmm. a full-time freelancer. Okay. Um, so uh, it just didn't work for me with raising my kids and right. to, to do that, but I've been able to. I am paid by the job, so That's, oh, I have I see. Okay. a great experience, and um, uh, I love it. Yeah, it's wow. Uh, my kids, you know, yes, they were sort of at home as I started that ten years ago, but now mm -hmm. they're all sort of launched, uh, which is which is great, and they're very supportive, and um, they even go to moth events when I'm not around. So I'm <laughs> glad that I've uh, you know created some believers. Wow. <laughs> so if people are, I mean, how did you find the humor thing? You said your family was humorous, but you didn't say that you were particularly. That was your segue out of um, what you were doing by yourself before parenting and all of that. So how did you, I know you said that that was something you wanted in your life, so you reached for that. But was there... Was there anything else there that you were relying on? Were you seen as funny among your group or was it really just total aspiration and you were able to get there? Um, you know, I hate to call myself funny. I, I think it's just that I look at the world in a funny way. There are some people okay. who don't probably don't think I'm funny. I think that's true about if you look at comedy, there are yeah, some yeah. comedians that I find offensive and disgusting yeah. and it's not yeah. funny to me, but yeah. funny to others. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just, I love to look at the world and find the fun in it, not find the mean in it, but find the fun in it because you can't always do that. I understand that, but I, I've always tried to look at the world that way. I think, and my, uh, my mom was always like that. My family, I always looked forward. I loved hanging out with my family because it was always mm -hmm. sort of a, a one liner competition. Oh, and really? I would, be the one, my, my older brother will tell you this, um, he's an actor now, but uh, oh. he's very comfortable on the stage, but oh. he, he would say that I would come up with a line and he would just say it a little louder <laughs> and everyone would laugh. So I think that I, I, there was a bit of a comedy writer in me, I, I like to think that, but I think there is in all of us. You mm. know? Do you think that anybody can do comedy? Absolutely. I you don't do. think it, you have to want to do it. Um, uh -huh. And I, I, I recall when I was 
first doing comedy and friends would come to support me and mm-hmm. you know I wasn't particularly good and I, they'd, they'd wait around after and they'd come to me and I knew this was the biggest insult and they'd look at me in the eyes and they'd say you're so brave you're so brave <laughs> right. Right. they couldn't say you were so funny or you were so great all they could say is you're so brave um, but I I really believe it's just whatever I did which happened to be a little more unique maybe than some of our friends would like to do a little too extreme. Mm-hmm. I think we have something in all of us and uh, sort of that's part of why I was excited to talk to you today. I, mm-hmm. I remember many years ago when you were, um, you know, running more magazine mm-hmm. and you were kind enough to invite me and some others mm-hmm. uh, to go to your reinvention convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget it. It was an incredible experience. And I, and I have to be candid with you because I, I didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought that I reinvented myself in a way. I thought I was just sort of doing what felt good and what got me out of something that was negative. Mm-hmm. And then I went to your event and I, I remember walking in, it was the Chelsea Piers, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought there'd be maybe 150 people there and, oh, I'm going to support Leslie. Oh, I'll yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure you did. You don't even probably remember that I was there because there must have been thousands of people there. It gets pretty big, yeah. It was so, that was inspirational. That was moving. And that got me to think that, you know, I'm not alone here. That's right. And that's one of the things. It was amazing. So, how do you break through that isolation? Because I think isolation is one of the big issues when it comes to reinvention that scares people. Is they're afraid of, a lot of people know that what they're doing now is coming to an end and Mm -hmm. they see the cliff. Um, but they're afraid and they're afraid because they're alone. They don't have necessarily support. They don't know how to reach out to support. They don't know how to find support. That kind of sense of, I hear a lot of people say it's a cliff. And my point is, well, why does it have to be a cliff? If you plan long enough um, and ahead enough, can't it be a series of hills that take you down um, to where you're going next instead of looking, you know, letting it become a cliff. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. What a scary word. Um, that's very upsetting. I, you know, I can only speak from my own experience, but Mm -hmm. I was never, I never considered myself a creative person. I wasn't a very good writer. I was a a math person. Um, and I never painted, I never did anything like that. And I might, I might uh, answer your question maybe a little differently than uh, mm-hmm. you asked it, but I start thinking uh, about, well, we talk a lot about youth and mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. older and mm-hmm. how frustrating it is. And I, I start, you know, we, that phrase, the fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. I have decided through this process that the fountain of youth is being creative. Mm, I love that. It's not what you look like. It's uh, sure a little bit about how you feel feel a lot how you feel but in terms of aches and pains but if your mind is active and turned on god you can be any age you can just feel fantastic so i've really been thinking a lot about that and i try to not think about um when those times something comes to an end that it's a cliff um i just think it's a jumping off point to try something new you just have to be brave enough to jump Mm. and i was never that person i was forced into it uh, Mm -hmm. by getting divorced Mm-hmm. Um, some of us are going to be forced into it by just getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do, I have friends who say, you know, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's, and- that's one of the issues. So how do you get out of that? Because you found your purpose. I, you know, it's, it's one purpose. I, you know, mm-hmm. purpose is a big word. Mm-hmm. I always feel like, gosh, it's kind of mean. It's, it's like asking a 12 year old what their passion is, mm-hmm. you know, but purpose is just what turns you on mm-hmm. and, you know, being creative and, and not even being very good at it is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, started taking harmonica lessons. Oh my God, was- you are something else. <laughs> Well, How did you pick up harmonica? Why harmonica? <laughs> there was a workshop this summer. My my daughter, who's 30 years old, um, was with me, and, and it filled up. It, and I thought, well, that would have been a fun thing to do. The harmonica, that's got to be the easiest instrument of all time. And she remembered <laughs> that, and this Christmas gave me a harmonica. So I said, well, I've got to honor that gift. So I have been uh, breathing a lot with a, with a very handsome 30-year-old uh, harmonica instructor. <laughs> who is not from New Orleans, who is actually from, you know, Eastern Europe, but, um, oh, wow. <laughs> that's great. So do you think it has a lot to do with curiosity? I find that a lot of people who are attracted to me and what I'm doing and the Covey club tend to be very curious. Um, their curiosity goes up in, as they get older, not down. Are you uh, a, a uh, curious person in general? Yes. And that is, uh, I wish I'd learned it sooner. Mm-hmm. I no, I don't think I well, I was curious, and I became curious through this process of of uh, having to face myself and say, okay, mm-hmm. what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I think curiosity is such a gift, mm-hmm. and it's okay to be about curious about something and not be great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it keeps our minds going. It keeps us connected. Um, education is a beautiful thing. And I know adult mm-hmm. education has grown in leaps and bounds along with the baby boom generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes a lot of sense to me. So I, I do. And I, I started telling my kids um, way too late, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, stay curious. Stay mm-hmm. curious. And oh, you do? Okay. That's I do. Interesting. And, I, and I hope they're listening. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So as we close out here, Bonnie, what kind of sort of very concrete tips if you know if somebody who's listening who's in the same situation as you were in there you know they were a mom and now they've got to transition into doing something for themselves they're trying to figure out what that thing might be um what are the steps they might take all we need is one or two um to get to those thoughts and a lot of times people say to me i mean it's interesting that you just said What's something I would like to be in the word was humor. Um, We tell people to go back to their childhood and examine the things that gave them pleasure and joy when they were a kid. Um, How do you get to those first steps? That seems to be the big problem in many cases, which is I know I need to reinvent, but I don't know how to start. Right. Uh, Well, for me, I think it's having that conversation with yourself. Sometimes it's just, I call it, um, you know, sort of training by walking around. You know, you might be just walking down the street or or doing the dishes and Mm -hmm. just have that conversation with you about the things that you love. And and listen, education is amazing. There's a workshop for everything out there. I know you know that. Mm -hmm. And put your toe in the water um, and give it a try. It's amazing. There's so many new communities that that are to be built in your life through something that you all enjoy. Uh, And so it's have that conversation, take a workshop, and maybe this isn't what anybody wants to hear, but lower Mm -hmm. your expectations. And what do you Uh, mean by that? 
And what I mean by that is, I just feel like we're in a world where of perfection, as you mm-hmm. know, and uh, social media on and mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. And if you just even try something, you're a success. Mm-hmm. You really are. And you can be turned on and grow in so many ways. You don't have to be perfect at it. You don't even have to be pretty good at it. Um, it's really the experience. So it sounds kind of, uh, I guess, unfulfilling to say lower your expectations, but, but try it. Mm-hmm. And, and then you'll sort of say, well, you know what, that was good or that was not good. And then you can move on. But, but mm-hmm. don't, you know, it's that idea of a cliff, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't suggest that you're already, already going to fall off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think also if you set, if you set the expectation too high, which is, oh, if I want to do something in the humor field, I have to be writing for, you know, Stephen Colbert. Exactly. And you're never going to get anywhere. You're not going to try anything. Exactly. And so, so just try it and, uh, and realize you don't have to be perfect at it. And there are wonderful workshops out there. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard this, but, you know, volunteer, man, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And, vo- and volunteer doesn't mean it has to be the obvious places to volunteer. Volunteer mm-hmm. in something completely out of your comfort zone. Try that. Because mm-hmm. that's going to get that brain working. And it's going to be firing up whole different areas of your brain. And that's excitement to me. Great. Um, yeah, I think that everybody thinks volunteering is for the, you know, the local fundraising for blah, blah, blah. You're saying right. volunteer for things that you yeah. that seem beyond you, right? And not just... Well, I fell in love with the moth and right. yes, they put me on stage. But that first step was, I told them, I will do anything for you. I will do, I will stuff envelopes. What can I do? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was there luckily at the beginning of their, their sort of education. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was sort of helped me just get involved and get to know the community. Mm -hmm. So there are theaters out there. There's, I mean, there's everything Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Great, Bonnie. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm so delighted that you finally had time to talk to us and, it's just, I didn't even know about the harmonica. Now I just, <laughs> it's so wonderful. And I think if everybody out there took harmonica lessons, it probably would change the way they yeah. look at the world. I really well, do. Leslie, I think what you've done and are doing is amazing. And thank you so much. Great. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. So thank you, everybody, for joining us on Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I hope that if you enjoyed this conversation with Bonnie and you're inspired by it, that you will be inspired to give us five stars and to pass us along to people you know so other people who are reinventors or would-be reinventors can find us. And I hope that if you know of anybody who's a reinventor uh, or somebody uh, that I haven't done yet, you will let me know at leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, at coveyclub.com. And I also hope that you'll join the Covey Club. We are having a great time. We've passed a year, and we have thousands of women who you can get to know who are like you and who are trying to figure out their next step and live their best life going forward and who really feel that this time after age 40 is the best time of their lives. So hope you'll join us, join our Facebook page, like us on Instagram, 
and be sure to subscribe to this podcast and pass it along to everybody you know. Thanks so much.